whatever your background, whatever your career. Whether you run to explore new communities, new neighborhoods, or new horizons, we are all pioneers. Hi, my name is Sydney Baptista, founder of Pioneers Apparel. We create running apparel with streetwear design aesthetics that fits bodies uh, of all shapes and sizes. Hi, Sydney. What's going on, Jody? How are you? Good. Um, I, you know what? One, I love the fact that I, I don't care what anyone says. I love Facebook. I love Instagram. I love LinkedIn because it's the only way I can see people. Because right. even, I mean, take the pandemic away. I'm never in the country long enough. And so to see and keep up with things that you're doing is all of the, these online platforms. But I love that you have your own startup. And I love the fact that it's like apparel. So we are going to dive right into that afterwards. Um, but can you please introduce to the audience, where are you? And we're, we're going to start right at the beginning of like, where did you come from? And tell us your story before school and before work. Before school and before work. So I'm in Boston from Dorchester originally, born and raised, still live here. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I got the opportunity to go to a boarding school for high school, um, which was my first experience being in all white spaces. Um, that has then shaped my life a lot since, uh, so from boarding school to college at UMass Amherst, from college at UMass Amherst to PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, where I was a consultant for about oh, six years. Oh, it's, 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 there's a full on, you're doing all this jumping around so fast. And I'm like, and I feel <laughs> like you want to go deeper. everybody. It's going, you're going too fast. I like, we have time. We, this is not a seven minute interview. This is like a full on, we have time. Um, you're born and raised in Dorchester. Um, how yep. did this kid from born and raised in Dorchester end up going to a boarding school? I mean, how did that, yeah. how did the hell did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a, in a time in Dorchester where violence was like rising. Um, and my older brother was involved in, he just was a part of that generation that like caught, he was caught in the mix of a ton of violence um, because it was like right around the 2000, like right around the 2000 mark, like late nineties, early two thousands. Um, there's a lot of street violence and gang violence of people that just kind of got into fights that then turned into gun violence. And so uh, at that time, my mom had seen what was going on with my older brother and was like, we got to figure something out because this, I, I don't want to see the, you know, my children going through all of this. And so I got into, she found me a school that was like from eight in the morning to eight at night at the time. It's called the Epiphany Middle School. Um, and so I went to school there. And then from there, you know, eight, 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 eight in the morning to eight at night. And then we went to, um, as we were going through that school, I was there from sixth and seventh and eighth grade. I started to learn about boarding schools. Um, and like it was, a, it was around the times where they were getting kids out of the hood was like a thing they were doing. I mean, they still do it now. I hate talking. I hate, like when I think back about like how I was the one that got out and got saved, you know, just remembering feeling like I needed to get out. And versus like when I now when I come back now, it's like, but wait a minute, all the guys I used to hang out with are still here, and their our lives took a totally different path. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so against the like getting out to save yourself versus like trying to bring the community with you. And so I, it might be a sense of some sense of guilt about that, that I then now live here and try to do a lot for my community, not guilt, but well, like, 
Well, all right. So wait, I want to talk. I want to talk about that, but I want to rewind just a little bit first before we get sure. too far ahead. Um, you went from eight to eight. That's not, I mean, it's a twelve-hour day for a little kid. Are you <laughs> learning? I mean, is it school, school, or is it daycare? Like, what? I mean, what is twelve? I mean, twelve hours of schooling doesn't make sense in my mind for a little kid because your attention span is so short anyway at that age. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, sports, study hall. Your whole the whole day. So, um, you do your homework at, at school. So you basically come home to sleep. It's okay. like boarding school before boarding school. Well, that's what I was gonna uh, say. I'm like, it's like you were prepared for boarding school well before boarding school even happened. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a shock, especially to my cousins. I have a lot of a bunch of cousins. Um, they were like, "Why do you go to school for so long?" You know, and I mean grateful thing i mean at the time obviously i was like oh i hate this mom why would you do that and then you build a community and then you have your mm -hmm. friends um but super thankful for that um for that opportunity and just to be able to do things that were productive versus like coming home and just watching tv or like getting into trouble on the streets um mm -hmm. because my parents worked you know a ton um so yeah it was it was a pretty in, in uh intensive school school day but a lot of fun too how were you, I mean, so what, at what age did you, or so you went from the eight to eight school that was traditional school. Um, and then you, um, what was, I mean, I'm sorry, you mentioned that other school that was in between. What was that? Oh, so uh, my high school. Okay. So, so Epiphany was eight to eight, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And then yep. at ninth grade is when I went away to, to boarding school in Western Mass. Okay. So how do you, how does one discover boarding school? Because there's not like, there are flyers hanging out applied to a boarding sure. school. And also not only flyers, but you still have to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my teachers. So the teachers I founded the, 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 the Epiphany middle school, they come from affluent backgrounds. Um, the, one of the founders is went to Groton, um, went to Harvard, uh, you know, went to, you know, have his, Grant, his one of his ancestors was like founders of Princeton, um, and the other one had kids that went to Park School and had gone to other private middle schools and and, and high schools, and so they had this knowledge and background of education that was different from like inner city education, and so they founded this school to help inner city kids to then either find the different, you know, go, go to these schools that they, that they had uh, experienced in their lives. And so they were setting up a pathway for, for people like me to go to these schools. So that's how I learned of, of boarding schools. And I was like, this is crazy. But when I went to visit, I just remember when I went to visit, it was like, it's like a paradise to me at the time, you know, it's like one of those catalogs where like, see kids walking to school, they're like walking on a beautiful campus and, you know, talking to friends. It was like, a tv show you know even had its own little cafe called the stew bop and so like for me it was like yo this is dope i, I want to you know i want to do that and then since i saw it i mean i remember seeing it and then coming back and just being like that's where i want to go not even thinking of anything else um and just tried really hard to get in and at the um, time sending emails and this is like 2001 sending emails in 2001 to like the, the administrators and so I was always a go-getter for mm -hmm. sure I, I love that I love like what it always makes me laugh or like when I was younger sending emails I'm like when I was younger there was no email like what are you talking you sent, yeah, you sent letters <laughs> this is where I forget how old my friends are sometimes I'm like let me 
you sent emails at your age. I'm like, oh, right, because it existed. <laughs> yeah, it existed. I mean, it was coming into existence in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, yeah. So, so now you get in. Your family, your friends, your, I mean, the kids that you grew up with, like that you were spending 12 hours a day with, what did they think of you where you're like, you know, like I know you're, you're, you were talking escape and we're going to talk about that, but what did everyone think of um, you leaving and, or did they say like, of course it'd be Sydney because he's a go-getter. That's a great question. I think, um, I think a lot of them weren't surprised for sure. I think that I was a, a, a top performer student in that school. I also come from privilege. I have two, a two parent household. Um, and, uh, you know, never went without food. And so my parents like really pushed education on us, mm -hmm. um, versus like a lot of the other kids, they might've come from, from different back, like, uh, from different, you know, either single parent homes or a bit of poverty. And so like, mm -hmm. I definitely came into the school with privilege for sure. Um, you know, I have light, light skin privilege as well. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think they might've seen that, like I was, I did pretty, pretty okay at that school and probably was one of the top performing students. Um, and the school was brand new too. It was like, I was like one of the first kids to go there. And so like, we were like the test, the test, you know, the, the, the guinea pigs. Um, yeah. And so when I went to school, it was super weird for me because I was now living in two worlds where when I went to boarding school, I was like the black kid from the hood. But then when I came back home, I was like the kid who went to boarding school and spoke white. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, I remember that being, uh, I mean, still to this day, it's one of those things that sticks with you. Well, how do you balance the worlds? I mean, so I'm first generation born in America, um, learning how to speak English when I was younger, which of course that still throws people off there. They're like, what do you mean you learned how to speak English? I'm like, yeah, no accent. Um, but then when I'm in the house, I'm in Haiti. When I'm outside the house, I'm in the U.S. It was like the U.N. And so it was that weird moment of um, turning off English and turning on French, turning off French, turning on English and living in both worlds. So how was it for you? How did I mean, how do you how did you assimilate into bouncing back from world to world? Yeah, so I, actually English is my second language, too, because I'm Cape Verdean and my, mm -hmm. my parents. So I'm first generation. My parents, didn't, when I was growing up, I didn't speak English until I was like five or six. And so like I struggled with English early on and would make, be made fun of in, in, at school because I just didn't speak, because I didn't speak English. Um, so, I mean, I could have, I don't know if it could have started back then where, mm -hmm. where I was, I started to learn how to live in different worlds, but like I got really good at code switching. Um, I got really good at just managing people around me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of those skills are what makes me successful today, for sure. Um, being able to to talk to multiple groups and um, and relate to multiple groups as well. Uh, but yeah, at the time it was, I just remember going to school and it was like 9-11 was the first day of class. And so like, I was already like super shook. Wait, and the, the actual 9-11 day was your first day of school? Yeah, of, In, of boarding school. Oh, oh, that's, oh, please talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, that was wild because yeah, I was like, I was already super. Um, even though I was excited to go there, I was getting a little homesick. Um, and I had like gotten there, and I was one of a few black kids, and was just like super. So I had gone there a couple days to like you know get into the mix of it, and like then school started on September 11th. It was a Tuesday, 
and I just remember it being like chaos and um and the schools uh you know it's a boarding school so you got kids from all over the world and I just remember um how the kids from the Middle East were feeling uh, because people were I don't want to, I don't know if they were blaming them that day or if it was if it was like a, a during the week or like I just remember them crying a lot um and like holding all school assembly and me just being like, I got to go home, bro. Like I know New York's not close to Boston, but like, I want to go home. Um, and there were New York city kids from New York city there. Yeah. It was, it was wild. Yeah. The, the with that experience kicking off your whole entire school year, um, how was the rest of the, I mean, like your time there? I mean, so how many years did you spend there in total? Four years. Um, that thankfully was just a part of it. And I think, the first two years were a little, a little harder, um, getting used to the curriculum, getting used to the people there. Um, and then the last two years, what I remember a lot most is I got, I was, uh, I became, a like a, a student athlete, um, a pretty good student athlete, captain of soccer team, captain of, of the, of the track team, broke a bunch of school records and track. Um, and yeah, pretty much left, uh, pretty, at the top of like the, the student kind of athlete category and a popular kid, I guess. I can see you being a popular kid. <laughs> That's easy. It's your personality. It's your smile. It's your personality. So I can, I'm like, I can see that. However, I will say that I was not always a popular kid. I always like, I have two birthmarks, two distinct birthmarks that kids used to make fun of me as, mm -hmm. as when I was um, in, I guess before sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. I was like a kid that had cooties and, so like, I got made fun of a lot, you know. Um, I didn't always have the best haircuts. Like I'm, I'm first generation American. My parents didn't really, they weren't giving me haircuts. So I had a tough time as a kid, kid. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I yeah, I, I became a, a more popular kid later in life. You found you found your way. So where did you go to college? Like what happens next? Yeah, so I graduated from there, and I went to UMass Amherst, still in Western mm -hmm. Mass. So at this point, it'd be eight years. So four years in high school, four years in college at UMass, um, at Western Mass. So I went to UMass and um, there was a program called Inroads. Are you familiar with Inroads? I've heard of it, but I, I don't recall, but just tell everybody what Inroads is. Yeah. So Inroads is a uh, training program for college kids, um, for minority college students who are trying to get into business or accounting. Mm -hmm. And so I... You know, being me and meeting people, I met a bunch of people who were applying for this program called Inroads. And so I applied, I think, freshman year. And I'd come from, I've already, I already had this like semi-college experience of living away from home. Mm -hmm. And so I came into UMass and although I was a part of like the minority students that come from like the rest of the state and different states, um, in, um, inner cities, I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, technically from Dorchester. So, but I went to... Uh, an elite prep school and so I came in already advanced in um in, in, in just schooling and just yeah. experiences of being away from home so I remember a lot of kids struggling that first semester and I excelled really well and so that got me applying to programs like inroads where I got in and just started to learn about like accounting and learn about um business schools and just the business world mm -hmm. what was and it so, about yeah. the business well you could have gone any route I mean one you could have gone to UMass Boston I mean so all right wait I'm sorry one the zoo UMass Amherst used to be known as the zoo 
back in the day. I went to many parties there where police departments would come from all surrounding areas because the parties were so crazy. Um, Was it still a zoo when you were there? And also you could have gone to UMass Boston. You could have come back home. So why did you choose to stay in the West in the Western Mass? Uh, so I'll take the first, this question first, um, coming from a boarding school and coming from like an, an elite, you know, institution, all of my mm-hmm. friends went to like private high schools, private colleges. And so for, for me, I felt like a failure going to a state school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I was going to go to a state school, I was going to go to the best state school. Um, you know, I didn't get into Bentley, Babson, BC, BU, you name it. I didn't get in. Um, and, but I got into UMass Amherst. And so I reluctantly, reluctantly went to UMass Amherst, which mm-hmm. ended up being like a blessing because, you know, I got an accounting degree at a really good institution. Um, I got a job, the same job I would have gotten if I went to Bentley and came out of a ton of debt. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, so I, that's why I chose UMass Amherst. I didn't get into to any of the, the, the private high school colleges I wanted to go to. Um, and when I got there in 05, it was definitely still the zoo, um, but it shortly changed in like 07. It, like they, they started to, to really, um, uh, it was after the, the riots of the Celtics, not Celtics, the, the Red Sox winning the World Series in 04 and then 07. I yep. think they had their last straw. There was a lot of rioting. And so they, I think they, they really locked down after that. Um, and then they started accepting minority students from different from out of state so Mm -hmm. that was around the time they started transitioning to become like this top-notch uh school where they instead of like like they would count their diversity numbers by you know bringing in students from out of state that were of color so they can count as diversity but pay full tuition versus like getting them from in state so the school started to change a bit like in 07 okay um so now you graduate with what yeah so i actually so as a as a, as a, as a freshman, I got into inroads and then we start internships that summer. Um, mm-hmm. so the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I got my first internship at PwC. And so I was like, I would come home and I would go to work making a ton of money at the time. It was like $25 an hour, $22 an hour, something crazy. And I was like, a fr- technically a freshman going and seeing a rising senior in high school and college yeah. and going into the corporate world. And then here it is again, like, I'm one of a few mm-hmm. people of color, young people. No, I mean, shit, I didn't even understand what accounting was or what PricewaterhouseCoopers was or what Enron was, you know, like oh. I would like raise my hand. Enron, oh my God. I remember like, I mean, like when I was in TV, when Enron, Enron crashed. Yeah. I would like raise my hand and like ask the partner at PwC in a meeting, like, what is Enron? And everyone would just look at me like, what the hell is this kid doing here? Like, you're working at an accounting firm, dude. What, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just be, just naive and whatever. Um, but just, you know, so I, I got put in these positions where I would start to learn at a very early age how to just, I guess, carry myself and um, be in the know of, of, of careers that others didn't. And experiences that others didn't have and so like I went through so I came back to and at this time I hadn't even gotten into the into the business school at UMass yet they wouldn't let me in I applied twice they wouldn't let me in and then I finally was like hey I got like a full-time offer like I need to get an accounting degree so like Mm -hmm. I got my accounting degree the last two years the last year and a half because I studied abroad in Barcelona I came back Mm -hmm. um 
and the last semester of junior year and the full year of senior years when I got my accounting degree. So, yeah, it was cool. Um, spent four years there, had a lot of fun. Don't really remember much of, high, of college, though, to be honest. Why? I think I had such a really dope high school experience, and it was, like, mm-hmm. where I made all my friends. And college was, like, one of those things where it was, like, it was fun, I guess. And I, Barcelona was obviously dope. Um, but, uh, yeah, and maybe I just have a bad memory, too. But it wasn't, like, I can't tell you that UMass was, like, the best thing ever. Versus, like, I can tell you my high school, I had a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I asked why, because I mean, I'm in of the same school where I, you know, I was the first that should have never graduated from high school because I was in every single club. I was in part of every single organization. I mean, when I went to Barton High School, which was like a jock, this is all jocks. I mean, like number one, di- di- division one in every single sport. And then it was funny because I started school, Suffolk University, but then I got my job at Kiss 108 as a producer. And so that was my college years. And like every experience was that job and undergrad yeah. was like, I'm there just to get, just to be there. And so undergrad for me was just like you were, it was there, but the experience yeah. of high school and the, that first job was everything for me. Mm-hmm. Would you go to high school? Would you say? I didn't went to it. Brockton high school. Bro- Brockton. Yeah. Brockton was, yeah. Still, I mean, it's still a powerhouse. It is it's still a powerhouse in sports, but I mean, back then it was, I mean, it was crazy. It was, I mean, there was like, it was absolutely insane in regards of sports, arts. It was everything. It's like, I mean, the school was just the behemoth of everything, but anyway. Yeah. Um, um, so you are now working at PwC. Are you working at, like, so I'm, like, I, like, I, I, you started PwC while you were in, in college. Did you stay with PwC throughout or did you finish it with, finish it before graduate from high school, from college? No, so I would, I would go back every summer, mm-hmm. go back every summer until I graduated. And then actually my first year out of college, I deferred my start day at PwC. I was coming out like during the, 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 the crash of 08 into 09, mm-hmm. 07, 08, 09. I graduated and I took a year off of PwC to go teach at the, at the Epiphany Middle School to come back and oh. like, yeah. So I gave a year of, of uh of teaching and i got on the board and so i was like you know continuing with the success of the school being like the yeah. first graduate of the school then to f- be the first graduate to be on the board and the first graduate to come back and teach and so that was really cool and neat um so i did that for a year and then i went to pwc okay yeah so how was right, so going back to the school how was it now as a graduate for the fact that you weren't really you wanted to go you didn't have a great experience at the beginning. You left being a rock star. You have all these experiences in Barcelona. You're like, you know, UMass Amherst, um, PwC. You're going back. Um, how was that for you? And how did the students and the teachers? So now the teachers that watch you grow, and then the <laughs> and then the, the students are like, who is this punk coming in here trying to teach us? I mean, like, how was that me full circle moment? I was not made to be a teacher, man. I was, <laughs> I couldn't take those kids would test my patience. And, you know, the, the, the teachers, I mean, God bless them. They, they had to deal with me um, being like, yeah, it was interesting because I came back and just started to realize how much more needed to be done. Like this one school wasn't the answer for all of the problems that are going on in our community. Um, and just, it just couldn't help everyone as much as a school tried to help everyone. It just could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as and that's when I learned, like, man, like middle school is like actually too late to get these kids 
because they're already setting their ways. They're already coming from like traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And if you come in a rock star, you'll leave a rock star. If you come in not doing well, you don't have a bright future, unfortunately. Um, And so that's when I started to see like, there's a lot of work to be done because these kids, you know, they, they, although they're, they're at school, it's definitely supportive for the time being that they're here and they're here from, you know, it might've changed from seven to seven or something like that. I can't remember the hours changed a bit, but mm-hmm. still 12 hour a day. Um, I just, there were, there were kids coming in with like all sorts of issues, like literally living on the, just coming from shelters, living in shelters. And so, you know, I was just like a, an eye opening experience as to like, man, there's a lot of work to be done, but it was cool. Like in terms of like being the black, like, Hey, you know, I was, I was just like you. And so I definitely, I definitely helped some kids um, that could relate with me, but not all kids. Not everyone will gravitate towards you, but if you can make a difference in one or two, it's, it's still a big change. Yeah, no. And we definitely have, we definitely did. I definitely did, which is good. So now walk me through the story where, now you took the, you taught for one year, you went back to PwC, you're not a PwC. So what happened between PwC and now? Yeah, so I was at PwC um, and I just was like, man, this is cool, this is great. However, like, I don't see myself being that guy. And that guy was like, you know, the partner who was divorced and overweight and worked crazy and just, yeah. Like it was fun, I traveled a lot. I had a ton of big clients, um, went to London with a client, um, all over the U S spent like time in, uh, one of my clients was a California state lottery. And so I spent a ton of, ton of time out there, um, down in Texas a lot too. And so I had a lot of fun, but then when it got to the point where like, I realized I really enjoyed the lifestyle at that age, but I didn't enjoy the work mm-hmm. I'd come like, you know, I love talking to clients, meeting with clients, meeting people. But then when it came back to like documentation of like meetings we had and like the stuff we were servicing. So I was in, I was in IT consulting and um, that's kind of where I fell. And the only reason I fell there was because like I had good relationships for my internship. Like I was placed in an internship and I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm friends with everyone. I'll just do this versus like actually knowing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so did that and got some really good relationships and stayed. And then I got to the point where I was like, all right, you're a senior associate to be a manager. You have to be starting to sell services and you have to start, you know, at the senior level, you're like doing work for the people below you. And you're also doing work for the people above you. And you're like, it's like the, the hardest position to be in one of these firms is the senior, senior associate position. And I just found myself like, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to this year, I'm going to focus on being a really good, like really good senior associate. And if I like it, I'll stay. If I don't, I got to go. And it was like, I hated it. I was like, man, I hate this. Like, I actually hate this. Um, and I was like, man, I got it. And then at the same time, I was like starting to put together, like, as I was traveling, I was seeing how different cities was having like different cultures and they had like music festivals for communities of color. And like, you see all these experiences in other cities, you come back to Boston. It was like, man, like what is going on? Like our communities don't get anything. So like we had this really big block party in 2012 that was like phenomenal. It's called Project V, happened in Dorchester. Then for me, from there, I wanted to create a music festival. I was like, this is great. I want to now create a music festival. So I created it. So I left PwC and went to John Hancock knowing that like John Hancock would be less less time, more money, a little bit more money, less time. And I built out that business and I, I created a music festival. 
we didn't have a really good experience with the city of Boston, um, unfortunately. Um, but we did have one festival. It didn't make money. And so like, then it was like, all right, I quit my job to do this thing. This thing is not working out. And so like, it was like, I started having an identity crisis because like I had always been, you know, up college, like high school, four years, college, four years. Here I'm at PwC, six years. Now it's like, what's next? I quit. Now I'm an entrepreneur. Um, and I hated John Hancock and I ended up quitting John Hancock, like on a Friday, like, this is horrible. Um, and so that's when I fell into running, like during that time, I was like joining a bunch of startups, um, and trying to, to figure out what I was going to do next. And I got into running cause it was like stability and discipline and, um, just something I needed at the time. The, um, it's funny that people fall into things and they don't leave. Um, they just stick with it. Um, and, and, and it's so smart of you that you knew that this was not the place for you to be and you decide to leave. Most people go the safe route. So before we go a little bit further, um, what would you say to people that are right now pandemic? I'm at home. I'm getting paid. I hate my job, hate my job, but I'm getting paid and I'm at home. They're not watching. There's no, there's no uh, person watching over me. What would you say to someone that, um, is thinking about exiting, but they don't know how, and they don't know what comes next. Number one, don't quit on a Friday randomly. <laughs> like get a job before <laughs> you do it. Get some income because like, yeah, it's really, it's easier to get a job when you have a job, if you're looking for a job versus like not having a job and searching. It was horrible. Um, I would say, I mean, especially now if you're at home, like, you know, really there's so many ways to build a business or so many ways to, to do something that you love because the internet, you know, I taught myself everything I know on the internet. Um, like when I was at PwC, I thought about going to business school and I was like, man, like I could do that, but I just would end up right back in corporate America where I didn't want to be. Um, and so like, I just started teaching myself a ton of digital marketing um, skills and I learned on YouTube and I learned on Google and um, so that pick a skill and just, or pick something that you might love to do and want to do or want to try and just try it. Um, before the business that I'm running now, I've like probably started like 15 businesses. So like, I'm an entrepreneur at heart though. That's different, you know? Okay, well, all right. So, well, that's the thing that. where someone may say that they have it in them. You said you have all these, I mean, like you're a serial entrepreneur, um, but yeah. you also said like go on Google and pick up things. I mean, I'm like, I'm a big fan where Google exists, just Google it. I mean, people have asked me how, how do I do X, Y, Z? And I'm like, I go, I honestly just like YouTube it, et cetera. But I also know the amount of time I find, I spend to find the, the right one that makes the most sense in regards of, oh, this is the right way of doing it. Or I think it's the right way of doing it. I mean, what are your thoughts about, there's just everyone and their mother is out there teaching. And right now on Clubhouse, Clubhouse is just a spew of lies. So many people that are out there in different groups and a spew, like a spew of lies. I jumped on a couple of them. I'm like, I go, what is this garbage? I go, and would you be successful if, you, if, it, if we're in a pandemic? I mean, because I'd rather get a spew at a bar with a bunch of friends drinking something versus being on Clubhouse. And I'm like, you guys are all liars. Not all of you, but most of you. So I was on Clubhouse early, early days, and I had a lot of, a lot of good interactions. I don't go on there anymore. Um, yeah. But I had, a, I mean, I met, like I launched my company on a, on a platform called Fund Black Founders. I met, mm -hmm. the, I met them on there. Um, I have a CFO that I met on there. Um, yeah, I mean, I met a lot of good people in the early days. I don't know what it's looking like now. But, um, but yeah, Google. Google it. I mean, listen, you started a podcast in the pandemic, right? 
you figured it out. I started a podcast. Yeah. I figured it out. Like you just, you Google it, you figure it out. And you know, there are doers and there are people who aren't doers. And so, yeah. There are the talkers. You are absolutely correct. All right. So now the running part, um, I'm a runner. I love running. I mean, I was a sprinter in high school and college. Um, I converted my body and it wasn't easy and it was ugly. Converted my sprinter body into a long distance where I, I'm now on the mission of doing the elite runner. So I did Berlin. I've done Boston twice. I got into Chicago, but I, I, the pandemic, I'm going to Chicago next year and then I'll have Tokyo oh. and Tokyo, New York left. And then I'll do Greece just for good form. Like I only, I'm not the, yeah. I'm going to run 26 Boston marathons. I'm a, here are the seven that I want. And once the I do major the seven, marathons. I'm, Plus yeah. Greece. That's awesome. That's really great. I'm the same. I, I was a sprinter in high school, 100, mm -hmm. 200, four by one, four by four, yep. transitioned into distance. Loved the discipline. Really hard though. Like really hard oh. to transition. Every, I mean, literally my eyebrows hurt. It was so horrible. <laughs> like it hurts. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I had a, I was, um, it was this thing where I saw this black man who's a friend of mine leading a running group out of Nike on Newberry street. And I was like, huh, mm -hmm. black people run. Okay. Maybe I'll try this. I'm not gonna lie. I said that. I said I'm like I go. Not a Kenyan. Not an Ethiopian. This is surprising. I want to see. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so that just goes to show how like representation matters, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, you know, for me in a, in a year like 2020, where like everyone's coming to me about like diversifying running in Boston. It's like I've only started running because I saw another black man running. Like, think about that. It wouldn't have been a thing if I didn't see him. Like I'm, you know. And so like, that's why representation matters. But yeah, so I got into running, fell in love with it. It was a perfect time because like, I was like trying to figure out what was next and running was just something that was consistent and I could, I can do it while trying to figure it out. So then, you know, I, I ton of startups. Um, I think we met when I was at Breather, which was a, was one of the startups. I think so. Right. I was at, um, I'm glad you said that because I swear to God, before this, I was like, how the hell did I meet Sydney? I can't remember. So yes, I'm happy you just said that. Thank you. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I actually was at Breather for about almost four years, three. So, I mean, pretty, pretty wild for a long time, but, um, Breather was great because Breather was decentralized. I, it was like, it was like the, the Uber approach where it was like hub and spoke. Mm -hmm. And so like Boston was a spoke. And so I ran my city and I could do whatever. And so like, while I was at Breather, I also built out a running team and, um, did that on the side and also tried a bunch of other stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, so did a bunch of the startup stuff. And then I was left breather at the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I got into a, I started working with a, uh, with a, a digital marketing consulting firm. Um, and I was like planning this like life of like travel and working as a consultant, as a digital marketing consultant, which was great. Um, I could live, live anywhere and just have clients. And then the pandemic happened. Um, but I had always had my running team. Like I created my running team. So just going back a little bit more, sorry. Um, I was running down, down on Newberry street. I was running, I became a Nike run coach, run pacer. I became a running coach in a studio. And then I was like, man, I, I really love running, but there aren't enough people of color running here. And there aren't enough people coming to meet me here. And I'm tired of leaving my neighborhood to go run, like leave drive 30 minutes to go run for 30 minutes on the water on the Charles. And so I was like, I got to start doing that in my neighborhood. So that's when we created the the Pioneers Run Crew mm -hmm. um, in 2017 and just started doing that weekly. And we stayed consistent with it. The team is now like over 200 people um, in Dorchester. And then wait, two, team of 200. So a group. All right, wait, I'm, I'm going to rewind a little bit, a little bit. 
Yep. Um, you leave Breather, the running came, the, you got into running not only because you saw someone of color, but did you need it? I mean, like, did, were you out of shape? I mean, like, what? I mean, yes, you did sports. Yes, you were an athlete. Were you missing something? Like, yeah. Um, I had, I was like at that point where like I had torn both my knees. So I had surgery. So I wasn't as fast anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really playing. I wasn't enjoying playing basketball with my friends, like the intramural sports stuff, because it was a lot of trash talking. And I was already happy. I was already like mentally dealing with like not having a career that I wanted to do, or like also fighting this like fear of like, why did I quit my really high paying successful career? Yep. And so like, I didn't find that like basketball was serving me at the time and I needed something physical. I, I got into the gym actually before running. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of got over that, um, bulked up really big and was like, all right, I'm done with this. And then running was just like, it was something that I just wasn't good at. And I was like, man, like how are all these older people that much better than me? Like, there's no way mm-hmm. these people are that much better than me. And so like, I did something I kept doing and doing and just ended up being like so great. Yeah. I am. Um... I went to University of Houston. That's where I started my college career before I went to Suffolk. And I went for track. And it was Carl Lewis's school. And I'm like, when I say humbled, like deflated, humbled, you use whatever word you want to. And I asked him, like, why did you even accept me? Because this is crazy. I am not fast. Like this. They're like, we need diversity. I'm like, um, what do you mean? It's diversity down here. They're like, diversity north and south. We don't look at color. Like it's diversity. And like we needed like kids from other locations. And I'm like, oh, well. That killed, I mean, literally that killed it for me. Um, when I started doing long distance, I had pregnant people pass me. I had the, yes. I mean, you, if, if, have you run Boston yet? I have not, no, no. Okay, Chicago so Mountain Marathon. When you run Boston, there is an Asian gentleman that runs every year barefoot. Every year he runs barefoot. And I'm like, and I have pictures with him because he's such a badass. I've had old people. I mean, when I tell you long distance running is the most humbling thing you could ever do, because it is, like you said, you have to, it's a whole new skill set. But the people, anyone, I mean, charity runners, you're watching charity runners run and they are all shapes and all sizes because they have it in their heart to do it is something I've never yeah. seen in my entire life. Exactly. And I could not believe that these people were faster than me. And I was like, there's no way. <laughs> like I, I have high school records. There's no way, but they were, they were just killing me. They were just beating my ass. And so I just stuck with it. I stuck with it to the point where I was like, it just felt it's something that I love to do. And so I did that for many years, built a team, built like a, a whole team of people that would come and also built a leadership team to kind of help run the, like the, the group. And we were really much outside of the running industry. Like we were a team in Dorchester that didn't really, we didn't, you know, we didn't really deal with anyone in the running industry, including like organizations like the BAA or any of the stores or already any really any. We didn't really get any recognition. You know, like people didn't really like they were like, oh, yeah, that's that ghetto running club. Like, you know, um, until 2020 and black people became it and black came people cool. became like came cool. You know, that's that's <laughs> what happened. Um, and so like here I am like every publication is calling me, every major brand is calling me, every, every, you name it. But what, but then you haven't, so we went from 200 <laughs> people running to everyone's calling me. What is it? What is, what is it? What is, I'm sorry, what, what is it? What do you, oh, yeah, the, what's the, the running the, team? What, let's walk through, like, what is the company? And I mean, like, why did it start? What is it? And where are we going? Like, I mean, what is the purpose? 
Yeah, so the Pioneers Run Crew started to diversify running in Boston, to normalize running in communities of color. Um, and, you know, it just started and it was like really, really big the first year. And then like, black people don't like to run. They have to be like, I don't know. It's a thing that we're still figuring out. Like, how do we reach people of color? So like it gets cold and they hibernate. So then it's like four of us in the winter. And then like, you know, Boston's gentrified. So like, then we start to attract people who move into the neighborhoods, white people, and they come and run with us, which is great because we're like here to create diverse cultures and communities. Um, and so everyone's welcome, but like, how do I reach the people I want that I'm creating for? Um, because like, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't creating with people of color in mind. Like these companies are not creating with people of color in mind. These, these team running teams are not, created with people of color in mind where we are like that's what, we're not exclusive but we are intentional about who we're creating for because we know that who's left out and so we just kept doing the work kept doing the work kept doing the work and then we just grow over the years um as just like that team that is very diverse that team that has a lot of fun that team that pulls up to the marathon chair zone with like poppers and champagne and like dance parties after and just like everything outside of running, everything that running wasn't, we were doing. And so, yeah, in 2020, they were like, what are you doing? How are you doing? How are you reaching these people? So. So you you remind me so much of, I mean, so when um, Brogan started November Project, um, because again, why pay for a gym when you can form a community to do this? Um, yeah. The pandemic was a perfect example of all these different organizations popping up because why one, why pay for a gym? Oh, wait, I can't go to the gym that I just paid for. Um, but also when you're at the gym, either you're forming a community where I'm a talker at the gym, but I'm not working out or I'm a, I'm in those core classes, the biking classes, the spin classes, people are screaming at each other and they're like, oh my God, I'm part of a group, but are you really? You yeah. have a community where it's like a family, um, dance parties, events, the poppers, a whole entire thing. Where do you see the industry changing? Because the pandemic, got you a lot more attention and more visibility where the conversation is like even bigger. Um, number one, how does it stay? Because I always tell people, it's lovely that female, whether you're a woman, whether you are gay, lesbian, whether you're a vet, whether you're a minority, we're popular now, we're popular now. When things go back to normal, what will you do with the popular, popularity that, that you have right now? So where do you go from now? Where, like, where does the company go? but also the industry itself, because gyms have changed. I mean, dramatically have changed yeah. because of the pandemic. People know mind, body, and soul. I need to be mind, body, and soul. And right now you're going to see PTSD after this, because once we, all it takes is that one person too close to you on the train and you're going to lose it. And I'm, then that's going to happen because you see people at Christmas time with a toy. So let's see yeah. what happens after this. So what, what does, what, where does your company go? And I go, and where does the industry itself go after we go back to our somewhat normal, consistent normal? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a lot of what we did and what I do is like, as the intention comes to me, instead of me being like it, I'm like, all right, let's take these, whatever resources and attention we're getting, let's spread it. Let's hit, let's take the money, let's put it into these schools. Let's put it into these programs. Let's, let's, up, let's put some of these captains on my team in front. So then like, when, when it, the dust settles, like there are more of us up top. There are more of us that have been affected. There are more of us that are inspired. There are more of us that are known. That's one way. And the other way is like, I started the apparel line. It's like, I'm tired of companies 
saying, oh my God, we have an issue. We have a diversity issue. We, we don't showcase people. And it's like, all right, well, we just got to own ourselves. We just got to own it. And so like creating a running apparel line that will never have to put out a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement um, that never has to look at its pay structures because we don't pay the women enough. Um, that is also capturing a big new, new, market, new market of runners who took up running during the pandemic um, or athleisure wear, right? Like we're a performance streetwear company. And we say that because like streetwear and athleisure is like big right now in terms of like, you want to be comfortable at home. Like, what are you wearing at home? I know I'm in sweats, you know, in a sweatshirt, pioneer sweatshirt, um, like comfortable clothes. And so like, there's a market of people that are out there that Lululemon doesn't speak to because they just don't, they are running niche running brands that like, they just don't speak to people of color or people of different shapes and sizes. And so like, there's opportunity there. So like, I made sure to take that and just understand that this thing will go away. Like all this notoriety will go away. So like, what are you doing with it now? And so, you know, created the podcast, Fitness in Color. Now we can tell more stories, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we did fundraisers. We raised $60,000 to give to like middle school and, you know, people affected by violence and like people who are working on policy change. Um, and the company is going to storytell. Like we're going to be telling stories that like runner's world doesn't tell. And um, yeah, so it's, it's just taking those resources and like really investing them in ways that you can then be here, be relevant as we grow. I do love that you, um, one, it's smart. Um, you have taken one item and you've added so many different layers to it, um, which is fantastic. I go, I always tell people, I go, what does your onion look like? Because when I'm peeling away at it, I better see a lot more things. And if you're just sticking to the, assume, the assumption where, oh, it's like an apple I buy to it, it's done. I'm like, no, there has to be tons of layers. I mean, so pick your food. I'm yeah. just going to put the onion. But so I, I love that there's so many different layers to what you're doing for longevity great marketing. Love you. So proud of that. Yes. Um, but also I, I love that you've taken all everything that you've learned throughout your entire life. And so the reason why I've developed this podcast so much and why I, I've given long form conversation is that one, that's when I was in the media, that's what we used to do with long form conversations and not these like quick little snippets, but I can't understand what you are doing now and why I should care or why should I in, be invested until I understand your yeah. story and to hear where you came from, uh, what you've developed, what you're learning throughout, how you're giving back. And now it's consistent with what your brand is, yeah. where I'm like, okay, I want to buy, I want to buy a product. I mean, will I go to Dorchester to go running? No, I live in Marblehead. So I run here, um, which of course I've been here yeah. for 11 years. And I just realized there's this track that it's open. I can use a track. I'm like, damn it. Like, what, what, what am I doing? <laughs> um, sidebar. But I mean, I do love the fact that you have created a place for people because of who you are and what you've gone through and what yeah. you've seen. So I do love that. Um, rewinding back to your, the groups of individuals that you grew up with, that you went to school with, that they're wondering, like, how is he going from place to place? And you're trying to figure out, I, I'm feeling guilty. Are you, you're giving back to your, your, your community, but are you having the individuals that you grew up with, your friends, families, colleagues, schoolmates, are they able to help you and get involved in what you're doing right now? Or are they just still looking at Sydney being like, oh, Go get her. Um, that's a, you know, another good question because it, there's always layers to it. I mean, I think early on, it's like, oh, Sid's doing the white thing. Sid's doing the white thing. He's bringing running in, you know, Sid went to white institutions, but then like, it's always depending on like the level of credibility that you get is when people start to like support you 
and support things that they aren't used to. So recently I was honored as um, a hero among us by the Celtics. Yeah. And that opened a whole new wave of support of people that like, you know, might've known me and might've been friends with me, but now like an organization like the Celtics honored me. And now they're like texting and supporting, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I love that. Um, But it just shows that like, you know, it just, people will support when it gets to the point where like they can see some sort of value that's like relatable to them. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of them probably don't see themselves in me, you know, maybe not, I don't know, but they do love the work that I'm doing in sense of like bringing running to the community. Like that's once they see it in that way, I guess um, it it tends to like get a lot more um, like support and stuff. So, and I I do pull and and I try to pull people to come and uh, come and work with us. What, What I found is that like, you give people opportunities, but like if they're not ready for the opportunities themselves or if they're not bought in, then it's, it's tough for anyone to, so tough for them to do anything. And so, yeah. And, and you're like, I was just thinking, all right, he's gonna say, um, where do you get your strength from? Because, um, and I, and I, I despise when people use imposter syndrome because it's just a, such a nouveau thing. So I'm like, I'm not, don't even say that thing to me because I will get mad. But where do you get your strength because you have been challenged throughout your entire life. Like you, you're telling yeah. stories and I'm hearing you've been challenged, you've been challenged and you still find ways to prevail. Where like I go, I was not popular. I was in school. I still like became the popular. I was an athlete. I was an athlete. You found, you have found ways to yeah. really shine. You have found ways to step out of the, the norm. Where do you get it? Because someone out there is listening and they're thinking, well, it must be nice because it's Sydney. And like, it seems like he's just like, he's, it's in him. Is it in you or did you discover or did someone help you along the way? Because someone is listening. And I mean, and I mean, I hear this all the time from people. They're like, I go, well, it's just, it's because it's, 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 it's what's Jody. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Right, right. Oh, it's just Sydney. Right. Well, what does that mean? So how do you explain to someone, how do, how do you explain to someone to get out of their own way and to find that fire to get to the next goal or the next school or the next whatever's? I love that you say that because I do get that too. Like, oh, it's just Sydney, right? And I, and I used to think about that about like Olympic Olympic athletes, right? Like, I, I interview Olympic athletes for my podcast, and it's like, oh yeah, but you're an Olympian. But like, you start to dig deep and find that like, you don't become an Olympian without working hard and like believing in yourself and like stepping out of your comfort zone and like really taking risks, right? Like, you don't just become an Olympian; you have to work hard at it. So it's the same as like you don't become successful or you don't become, you don't get good at things if you don't try, if you don't pull yourself out of your comfort zone, if you don't um, believe in yourself, like you have to really believe it, right? Like I'm creating an apparel line, manufacturing in Malaysia, mill in Italy. Like I'm a kid from Dorchester. I, I just was like, I'm doing this. I see other people doing it. Like I have a community. We've created this community. And like, if they can do it, then I can't. And it just, I said that. And then it just started, the pieces started falling in place. I just meant, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to say manifestation, which is true. Like I, I manifested it maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I believed in myself. I stuck with it. And just, I let, it's like, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in one day. It doesn't happen, you know, really fairly quickly. It's just, the, the effort that you put over the years and the time that you put into yourself and the belief that you have in yourself is what leads to whatever it is you're, you're looking to do. And so, um, yeah. Uh, I'm with you with, 
I'm with right. you when you say you manifested. I'm a big fan of the universe. Um, the universe listens clearly. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, I, I mean, I, there's, there are times where I freaked out, freaked myself out where I was singing it in my apartment or I was like one on a run in nature. I said it and I was like having a full on conversation clear as day about this thing. And when it came true, I was like, okay, who's following me? Like, I, I, mean, like, I swear there was like a camera following me because when it happened and when it happened true as day to the words that I said, I was freaked out. So the universe yeah. hears you. And I love the fact that you manifest it, which is so important because sometimes people keep it in their heads because they're like, well, it's my idea. I don't want anyone to hear it because they're going to steal it. Yeah, right. There's a ton of ideas. And also that little voice in your head that says you can't do it. If you keep letting that be a bigger voice than you. I mean, if you say, if you think you can't do it, you probably can't do it. Because you're already telling yourself you can't do it. You're not even allowing yourself to even open something that may happen or like, you know, an ability or a skill that you, you might have, but you've already told yourself you can't do it. And so, um, I mean, yeah, you got to try. Um, I don't think, or maybe I missed it. Actually, you didn't answer it. Where do you see the industry going literally post pandemic? Yeah. I, um, the running industry specifically, we are, um, there's a new coalition called the running industry diversity coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, headed up by Alan Siddesser, who's a, who's a founder of Harlem Run, which is like a very similar organization to Pioneer's Run Crew. Um, mm-hmm. She started that um, with a bunch of other, other folks um, and they have companies like Saucony and Brooks um, and big, big companies that are a part of it. And so like we just did a fundraiser run for Ahmad Aubrey um, on the 23rd of February the year, one year anniversary. And we, I mean, the, the industry, we came together and we raised $226,000 in one day for scholarships for the kids um, in that community. Uh, and so like, we are taking, instead of just like asking these companies to do things for us, we're like taking leadership and creating our own. So like the running, this coalition was created to then hold people accountable and hold companies accountable and create training and, create a media group that will then, I mean, this is a small part of it because I'm a part of it now because I have the podcast, but like there's a media group that focuses on diverse uh, diverse writers and trying to tell more stories. And so like, I think that the running industry has been put on notice. I think the running industry understands that things need to change. And um, yeah, we're here. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of that too. So I, I see it being a bright future for, for, for running and just, meeting more people and, and just diversifying the body types and people um, that are running. I've tried to explain to people so often that the running community is like nothing that I've ever been in my entire life. And I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a global citizen. I leave this country seven months out of the year. Um, I love, I love that I'm first generation born here. I see the world. I see the country in two different ways, um, pro con and I have to say of everything that I've ever been involved in, the running community is like no other because when you are in your running gear, especially when you're in New England and it's snow, it's cold, it's like we're, we're, we're out there like five degrees, we're, we don't care. I don't know what you do. I don't know who you, I don't know anything about you. All I know is how are you okay? Did you fill up this little house? Like your quads, I mean, I'm checking on you because it's a yeah. mental game, it's a physical game. And so I, I have no idea what you are. And I remember after my first marathon, we our running group went out to like to lunch 
we were in normal clothes. I'm like, oh, that's what you look like in normal clothes. I'm like, okay. Right. And right, also right. Yes. then we start talking about our jobs. And I was like, with all these like VCs and angels, I'm like, you're in my community. I'm like, how the hell did I, have, I've never seen you. Cause I probably did see you, but you were in regular clothes and I don't recognize you in regular clothes. And yeah. so the it's running so community true. is by far the, I, I believe one, by far one of the best and consistent groups that I've ever been in, in my entire life. So I love that you are bringing a lot more attention to it, which is really, really needed. Um, what's the age zone? I mean, who's your perfect audience? I mean, I know you said diverse, Michael, but are you dealing with young kids? Are you dealing with older? Like, who are you, who are you dealing with? And also what's the best way to find you? Yeah. So, I mean, we are, when I say diverse, I mean, we are diverse. Um, and we use running culture to unite diverse communities. That's what we do. Um, like our, you know, we have 55 year old runners. We have 23 year old runners. Um, we have, uh, uh, Olympic trial athletes. We have, um, you know, people who are just running their first mile, walking their first mile. Mm-hmm. And so like we literally service the spectrum of, of people um, when it comes to running. And uh, yeah, we're, we're based in Dorchester, um, Pioneers Run Crew. Um, the apparel line is an extension of the run crew. It's a culture that we've, that, that we've created and, um, and, you know, storytelling will be a big part of it. And so, um, yeah, you can find us on Instagram, um, Pioneers RC, uh, the apparel. You don't have to pitch it here. I, I'm going to say everything. You don't have to worry about that. I got, <laughs> I, I got you on right, that. Right, right, right. You got me. <laughs> show notes, show notes. Um, yeah, no, so, you know, join us. We're Right now we're, we're meeting in Franklin Park on Saturday mornings. Um, we then, you know, when it gets warm out, we'll start to explore the city. And so, um, yeah. Perfect. All right. So my last question to you. Um, if you had a, actually, no, lie. That's a lie. Not my last question to you. I have one more question before my last question. Um, anyone that is looking, so there's a lot of people that are there. They're looking for something to do that's different. They want to be happier. They want to stand, like figure out what's best. Um, they're hearing you. Um, they're fearful. So I'm afraid to leave that job that's paying me a lot of money. Love it, hate it, yeah. indifferent. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, there's so many people doing the same exact thing why do I have the right or do, well, yeah, why do I have the right to actually go out there? Because every, there's so many running clubs, for example, uh, there's so many yeah. clothing lines out there. Why even bother that? Okay. I go, and the third thing is the fact that, yeah, I have the money financially. I could do it. I don't have the micromanager boss, but family and friends are not supportive. Uh, yeah. Here's, here's that bubble of a question here. <laughs> I just gave you a huge thing to answer. I mean, I think that if, you have to, first off, you have to love and want to do it. Like I didn't start running a running team because I was trying to make money. Like I started a running team because I needed to bring this love of running to people who look like me and these experiences that I've had to people who looked at me. It just happened to be something that became lucrative. Not, we don't even make money off the running team. The running team is just there for experiences. And I decided I needed to stay in the running industry. So I created an apparel line. Um, but like I built a consistent community of, and I built a, a, I built a I built consistency around what, what I was doing and friends and family were there early on but I mean they started to trickle off right like they get they supported you we supported you then like who are you building for who's coming and who then are you your new community uh, community is you know is, is going to be a is, a is a big huge component of how you're successful in anything you do because you need those those ones ride or dies and so like start small, stay consistent, 
build a brand, build, you know, around yourself and around whatever it is you're doing and just find your, find your, your niche and just stay with it. And people will support you. There, people are out there looking for community. They're looking for connection. Um, so if you make it meaningful for them, they'll be, they'll be on board. Beautiful. Um, all right, wait, I'm trying to see if like, it's, it's my internet or your internet, but all right. Did, oh, all right, we're back. Um, um, I actually, you know what? I'm going to poke a bear question. This is a poking a bear. Uh, you are the voice Great. for. Are you? you am I the priest? No, you're going. No, I said I'm afraid. Okay. I said I'm afraid. Okay. No, yeah, all right. So, like, oh, you know, you, you, you could be afraid, but you don't really have to be because I, I'm. You can. You've answered this, but I want to make sure it's very clear when I ask it. Um, because I'm, I'm a queen. I don't ask the question. I don't care. Um, you're saying like, oh, you know, when um, I'm building a community for people of color, diverse group, et cetera. Someone random was going to just like pop on this probably midway in this conversation. And they're looking at you. They're like, what is he talking about? People of color. He doesn't look like a person of color. What are you talking about? <laughs> so see, cause I knew I, so when I'm, I, when people meet me, when I was in radio, I was all my contacts were on the phone and they met me. They're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm like, I go, I know you're looking at me and you're shocked because you thought I was from California because I sound Valley because I have a sing song voice. I get it. I hear it all the time. Um, people meet you running community. Yes, you live in Dorchester, but someone comes in midway and this conversation, they didn't even see the entire podcast. And they're like, cause all this I was running and they're like excited because hey, I'm a runner. So what is like that conversation that you have with individuals that are probably like, I'm confused by this guy. Oh man, I don't, uh... I don't know. That's a good question because I more recently, specifically people, I haven't had those conversations more recently, but um, I always want to acknowledge my privilege. Absolutely. First and foremost, like I always, that's something that has helped me get to the position where I'm at. And it's actually something that helps me then leverage both white spaces and brown spaces, black and brown spaces. And mm-hmm. to like, then bring the shared experience. I'm, I mean, I'm a hundred percent African. Um, so like, I don't have, I guess any white American in me, I'm sure like if I did an ancestry before I have some European, right. But yeah. um, I don't know. I think that, uh, I think that people don't ask those questions anymore, especially now. Um, but um, they're still, it's still important that we, we, we try to understand that people come from different backgrounds and people mm-hmm. have different experiences. Like me sitting in you know, I'm harassed in Dorchester. I'm harassed in white neighborhoods. So like my experience is a black American. I'm a black American because I'm harassed like a black American, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and me understanding that and also understanding my privilege, I, I think it's, it's like, it's my duty. And what I like to do is to, to make sure that I'm putting on for my people and I'm, you know, speaking up and bringing to these communities what I was, what I was given um, because I was, I was a lucky one that got pulled out. Um, I, I, I love the answer. I love the answer. So thank you very much. Um, I, I say this because being Haitian American. And so like, I mean, I'm full on, like I'm, I, I, cause I will always represent, uh, I represent two countries, Haitian, being Haitian American, um, and being older. I mean, I'm 52, so I'm older. Um, and so it's like a clear when my parents came to this country, how it was when the world where the United States was when my parents first came to the country. But I always tell people yeah. like, I make it very clear always other, always Haitian American, because I need people to understand who I am, where I came from and why I see the world the way that I do and how education is huge for me. Education is yeah. huge for me. 
I will poke everyone's bear. I will ask the questions, but I will not surround myself with individuals that cannot have the conversations. Um, and, yeah. and literally during, um, it was before it was like in 2019, I was like, I go, it robs my soul when I can have a deep conversation about anything, any subject with anyone. So I knew I was going to start pulling back from, I still love you, but I don't need to be with you all the time. But during Black Lives Matters, I, and it wasn't about the fact that um, people weren't having the conversations. They were just having generic conversations where the, the script was the same. And I'm like, I've known you for years and I know how deep you are. And you went on script like a sheep. And I'm like, eh, I'm not into that. So for me, I'm an educator. I will always be an educator. I will always give you a platform to talk as long as you could have a high level and as long as you're able to say your words and be okay with that. And I will always love that for anyone that's in my world. So thank you for answering the question. Absolutely, yeah. Now my last question. Um, if you had a personal ask in or, or a, a personal ask and a professional ask of anyone that is listening, what would you ask? I ask this of everyone. This is my last question that I ask of everyone, but you had a personal ask and a, and a professional ask. What would it be to anyone that's listening to you right now? So because I'm, we launched our company um, via crowdfund, Kickstarter crowdfund on a, on a platform called Fund Black Founders, um, I'm going to combine my asks because it's personal and, and, and professional. I need you to support Pioneers Apparel um, and help us, become, uh, help us become a reality. Um, if you believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're, we're creating a Black-owned apparel line in the running space that's really, that's really needed. Um, and we have all, you know, we, we have a really good head of product. We have a really good product um, and we just need to get it to market. And so like my ask is to go help me fund it, um, get a pre-order, you know, where I think we're at 30% off right now for early bird. And so check it out um, and, and provide, yeah, use your money, like put your money towards something that's, that's doing good in the world. Um, sustainable fabrics. So, you know, we're, we're, we're making sure we're taking care of, uh, of that part of, of the fashion industry, but um, yeah, check that out. Is that the professional or the personal? That's both. That's both. I'm combining the two because we need to get this company off the ground. I mean, you could follow me on Instagram. I, I you know, I, I do a lot of um, a lot of talks about race and mm -hmm. um, about diversity. Um, but yeah, I think at this point, it's let's get this company off the ground um, because that's going to help me professionally and that's going to help me personally. And that's going to help us build and continue to do the work we're doing to diversify running um, the running community. Beautiful. Sydney. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I mean, this has been so good. One, I mean, again, it's good because I get to catch up my guilty pleasures. I enjoy it. I know right. some people are on Netflix. I'm like, oh, I'm doing a podcast and I get to do it this way. So this is my guilty pleasure, but also just, it's just learning about you where I met you. Again, not gonna lie, for totally forgot how I met you, but I'm like, I go, I know Sydney. Yeah. I go, but knowing yeah. who you are, now I know who you are versus just knowing you. Yeah, no, I hear that. It's been good. It's been good to catch up. Um, I, yeah, it's been awesome. I love the work that you do, and you've always been someone that's been like, how does she do all that she does? You know, oh, no. you are a, a child <laughs> of the world, and so uh, I'm not surprised that that you that here you are with a with a podcast um, that's a business podcast. So. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I need Thank to take you. care of you guys. I need you guys to exist. I need you guys to take care of yourselves, but I need the world to see that small businesses and startups aren't dying. Like everyone was saying, I mean, you guys are doing better than most people. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, this is not the last conversation. I, 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 I'm going to find ways to bring 
a cluster of you guys together to have bigger conversations, but this is just a start to the way people get to know who you are first. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate the platform and uh, thank you. All right. Bye, my friend.